Hello. You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo Whoa. of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Welcome back to another episode of Hoop and Holler. I'm not going to hold y'all. We are still in the same, like, last week's episode is also we're recording it in the same day. My sister's getting married. That's why we're recording two episodes in one week, but you're hearing this the next week. Congratulations, Ebony. And Congratulations. Donnell. Yes. Life and love and all of that fun <laughs> stuff. Um, but anyways, basketball. Um, no. So, kind of have to make this a quicker episode because I'm a varsity athlete i have a practice i have to get to (laughs) if y'all don't know i which why would y'all know but i'm actually practicing with the women's basketball team i'm journey to hooper it's still on i'm just not recording it you know i don't i don't need to do my off-season training workouts to post on social media you know we just grind in silence you know Mm -hmm. work in silence bro anti-ben simmons anti-ben simmons bro julio Mm -hmm. i put up okay over the court if i told you i shot 50 shots from the top of the key. I shot 10 shots from each spot at the like standard around the thing. And then today I shot um, 150 shots, 10 shots at each spot. What would you say my percentages were? From three? From college three. I was going to say high school or college. Um, at what courts? The Galen Center. So the rims are friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or at the, the, ga- the at the college. main courts or the not at the, the main courts, courts, the practice courts, but it seem about the same rims, honestly. Shoot, I'd probably say like thirty-two for the top of the key or the around the for everything. For everything, you think that my average is thirty-two? They sleep on my jumper, bro. They sleep on my jumper. I've been sleeping on my jumper. I shot. from the top of the key on 50 shots. I shot 47% with the 50 shots going 10 shots at each spot. And then with the 150 shots that I put up today, I shot 40%. (laughs) This man turned into clay or what? Yeah, like, I don't know why he doesn't shoot more when we play. Like I might need to. I might, because I've been getting my own head. Because I feel like I perceive myself as not much of a shooter. So once I miss a few, it's like, okay, let me scrap that. I don't understand that. Okay. I'm a shooter. I'm a shooter. Uh, I'm a shooter, man. Pause. Let's get into it. Speaking of shooters, how the hell are the Lakers going to finish? The- <laughs> I feel like that's a really right. good transition. How the <laughs> Lakers are going to finish out the rest of this? We have three it, roster spots left. I know, Julio, you got a lot of thought, lots of thoughts on it. It's very, it, it, it's very interesting. So um, I, I'm going to make this quick. I know we need to make this a quick episode. So uh, I definitely think that the Lakers treading slowly like we are um, is definitely a good idea, and they do plan on signing maybe two guys earlier and saving one roster spot for uh, uh, the the buyout market. So, our biggest area of ne- oh, l- let me just start off with this. Typically, in, in a normal roster, championship roster, when you only have three spots left, your rotation guys are kind of solidified, and so the three last roster spots, 
you might use one for the uh, Giannis's brother to try to recruit Giannis in the future. <laughs> you might use another for Jared Dudley, and you might use another for like a, a young, a, a young R.I.P. Jared Dudley. Uh, it's uh, been real. Yeah, a, a young player like Devonte Kaycock that you want him to get some minutes in the actual NBA. But this is different. Though we are an NBA caliber team or a contending team. Our three roster spots cannot be used for those guys. And so Jared Dudley coming to us and saying, or coming to Rob Pelik and, and saying, you know, I know you guys want to get younger, but this is a big mistake. I'm, I'm sorry, but shut up. <laughs> that is not what we need right now. We need more. <laughs> we, we, we need. Julio, <laughs> you're funny, bro. It's not what we need right now, bro. Go, go, well, go. Well, it's well, not what we need. Why, why didn't you just go to coaching? Like, just, just he, be an assistant coach. He did, coach. didn't he? I think he did. He no, no, that, I, I know. But he, wa- why, he wanted the Udonis Haslam bag. Yeah, so, so you know, stay off, go away, go go with Jason Kidd. So, our, so we, mean. we need, what the Lakers need is more depth. Why? You're not going to play, play more than 12 players. They're well, old as we're shit. We're old as hell, so one of them might get injured. Rusty and knees. You, and you have to prepare yourself for that uh, a scenario. And, and, and number two, and most importantly, what you want to do is diversify yourself. Um, especially when you head into the playoffs. So our biggest areas of need right now, uh, number one is at the wing position, wing depth, uh, whether that mostly on the de- on the defensive end. Trevor Ariza, if he was younger, I would probably put this on the lower uh, totem pole or, or list of, of area of need. But he's he plays more of a four right now, and Kent Bazemore can play that, but he would be our only wing that we would have to rely on Ooh. throughout the season for defense. And so we're, we need more depth at the wing position, and Carmelo Anthony's a four now. LeBron, I, I don't want him defending and expending that energy throughout the season. So that's number one. Number two, our second biggest area of need, is the big position. Now, I know we already have AD. We have Marcus Saul. Marcus Saul, I don't think, is coming back. No, and if he doesn't, this I mean, this is an even bigger need now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dwight Howard, obviously. So um, with these three guys, these are very big. And uh, I would say even though Dwight Howard is athletic, they're slow and can't they, – they, they just – essentially what I want to bring with this new uh, uh, big in that I want to fill in this roster spot is a change of pace big. So the, the kind of – player that archetype of player that I want you guys to think about is a Paul Millsap Kevin Love type of player that can come in maybe he's a little shorter he would play like a traditional four uh, in in yesteryear's NBA but would slide into the five position let AD play down low low and can shoot the three Mm. so that's the change of big that a change of pace big that we need obviously Marcus Saul that's a slow change of pace if you want Paul Millsap and Kevin Love. Obviously, uh, uh, Marcus Saul did shoot good from three last year. He's just not reliable at all to play over, like, I would even say, like, seven minutes a game. So you, you could, you, what I'm saying is that you want a bunch of different knives to at your disposal to use in different situations and different matchups. And then number three, I don't know why we're looking at so many point guards. But, uh, yeah, we're looking at a lot of point guards. So what I want to throw to you, I want to use this segment to throw to you guys. Right. If uh, Knowing that we have three roster spots, three areas of need, I'm going to go to you, Reagan, first. What's that? Would you want Rondo, uh, Mike James, Collison, or IT? Pick your pick your poison. Give me Iguodala, dog. <laughs> um, give me IT, man. I would IT? take IT just because... And maybe this is like 
me not being a basketball person and more just me being like, I got so, it was emotional for me to watch him after he dropped like, what, 80-something points, 81 points in, in that uh, Pro-Am game. Mm-hmm. He's just been killing it. He looks so good. He looks healthy. He deserves a spot in the league, man. But I I just feel like a guy with him, he would want playing time and want to show out to try to stay in the NBA. I feel NBA. like he would earn his way to getting playing time, though, too. Mm. Like, he the the you watch him play. Wow. Obviously, it's Pro-Am, right? And it's a Seattle Pro-Am. It's a Seattle. I mean, Seattle Pro-Ams are like pretty Yeah, legit. but they score 120. Like, like Point being, he's getting his buckets off in a way that would be translatable, okay. I believe. Um, Rondo... Like, he's fine. I'm not sure how replicable playoff Rondo that we got would be happening again. Yeah. Mike James is straight. Like, I don't know. Out of all four guys that you named, I think that IT would have the highest ceiling. And this entire Lakers roster is already a ceiling play. So if we're going to make a ceiling play, fuck it, let's keep going with the ceiling play. Get the highest ceiling play. Let me move on to you. Who do you choose? I mean, if Darren Collison still actually wants to play. I would pick Darren Collison. I would pick Darren Collison. But also, like, he just... You keep hearing his name, and like I thought he was just knocking on Man, doors. He's like flaky. Witness. Yeah. yeah. All right. N- number two. At, at Nothing the, wrong with Jehovah's at, Witnesses. At the at the wing position slash off ball position, um, my favorite pick right now to sign would be James Ennis from the Orlando Magic. Okay. I'd probably sign him, uh, j- just to add more depth. And no, he's not a fantastic, you know, player that's going to change, uh, uh, you know, your whole uh, landscape for the Lakers. But uh, James Ennis. Eric Gordon or Aminu if he got bought out? Aminu. Aminu, 100%. You? I don't know whether Eric Gordon will get bought out, but he would be good for the he Lakers. He would be great for the Lakers, I think. Yeah. yeah. But also, I just also want to mention, because you said Kent Bazemore earlier, I think he averaged like seven and a half fouls per 36 minutes last year. Some ridiculous. Oh, he, he's a big fouler? Oh, he's a, oh my he, God. he had the highest I foul. I get so frustrated but, with those uh, wh- Why players. Eric Gordon, if if you said that we need this like wing depth that's capable of defending? Because w- I, I think I would be willing to sacrifice wing depth if it meant bringing in that type of kind of X factor like he's scoring. A, he's a shooter, shooting. but he also guards up. Like he's yeah. you know he's, he's pretty strong. big. He's like short, but like he's pretty big for his like size. So he guard like when he was in Houston, he guarded up. Obviously, he's injury prone, yeah. older now, but um, okay, and then at the big position, a report came out that DeAndre Jordan. Please, my God, do not sign DeAndre Jordan. A number one, he's not that good, and I hated when they were starting him over Jared Allen. Mm-hmm. Number two, that is exactly the archetype of player that I'm saying that we do not need. We need something different from Dwight Howard, something different from you know the guys that we do have. So, um, I'm gonna give you a. a would you rather sign Paul Millsap now if mm-hmm. you had the chance, or wait for Kevin Love and the chance? That he would get bought out. Wait for Kevin Love in the chance. I don't think Paul Sheesh. Millsap's got it. I don't. Really? I, I don't. Like, I, I mean, maybe it's just the capacity of what he looked like in Denver, but I'm not sure exactly how much he's contributing to the Lakers team right now. But no, but you would only use him in certain situations is my point. Like in certain matchups. You don't think he's valuable I'm to all that? I'm all about the upside, man. Kevin Love, like, is go Kev- stand in the corner, does, Kevin. He's, not, like, he's, not, a, does, he's does, not a for sure buyout, though. He's does, not. He's not. Does Kevin Love have more upside than what Paul Millsap might bring? I think so. Interesting. Because to me, I said this last year, Paul Millsap seems like the exact type of player who will spend his last year playing next to LeBron and then me retire. Too. So I, I just see it but happening. The, but the holdup is that he wants more than the vet minimum. Well, 
So if you let's say you don't get him, you don't get uh, uh, Kevin Love, and he doesn't get bought out, would you rather? Uh, I, I think I know we mentioned uh, you were like ill Ursan Ilya Slova. That man shot forty five percent from three. You don't think that could be used in some minutes, in some games, in certain matchups? Next to AD, hell yeah, that can be used. Forty five percent? Are you kidding me? You don't like that he takes charges. No, no, don't. I mean, because I mean, he was on the Jazz last year after he got bought out somewhere, you know, because the Jazz wanted a ton of shooters, and, like, he didn't get minutes over... Uh, well, like, Niang is better. Niang, but like, also, like, Mie Oni, or, like, basically, it's, like, there's a reason why he's not getting minutes when it matters. Like, outside of taking charges, he's not doing... All I'm saying is that if Dwight gets hurt, if Marcus all gets hurt, which those, and AD gets hurt, like, you, you got to supply a little bit back there. So Paul Millsap, let's say he doesn't want to come. Kevin Love doesn't get bought out. You rather have DeAndre Jordan or? You're, you, there's or a name that you're not mentioning, and I don't know. Maybe I'm mistaken. But Isaiah Hartenstein. Hell no! Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's actually kind of. I mean, anyway, Eddie. That's such an Eddie fucking thing to try to. <laughs> Isaiah Hartenstein. That, but no. People okay. probably don't even know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm asleep on Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, but how about Aaron Baines? Aaron Baines is good, mm. but he had that neck thing. He had a neck thing. Uh, he's gonna be out for like a good portion of the season. He damn. he got it in the in the Olympics, so that that's a no go. Fucking oh, Olympics. Damn. He yeah. wasn't re- he wasn't good last year, but he, he wasn't, wasn't. But I feel like the upside of what he could be. Yeah, um, I would rather bet on him. So than... yeah, me too, me too. But at the end of the day, my point is is that we can't be filling the, these roster spots with no Jared Dudley's, Antetokounmpo's, and uh, you know Antetokounmpo. No, no. So what we need is actual <laughs> a- actual depth. And no, you're not going to rely on these guys heavily, but you need to secure yourself in case one of these guys do. I'm surprised you hurt. didn't bring the name when we were talking about guards. Or I guess this this guy would probably apply more as a wing. But how about bringing back Avery Bradley? Avery Bradley is a great candidate. I would I just, be very I just, happy to see Avery Bradley I, come back. He, he, would be number, he would shoot up to number one on my list. I just don't know if he'll. If Interesting. He'd I hope the Warriors yeah. get him, but. But yeah, don't know what he's up to. So there's a little rundown uh, uh, of the Lakers' potential, what they could do with the rest of the roster. Um, but let's transition into more off the court things that are happening right now. Um, one of the uh, I, I'm I'm pretty like interested in what's happening with player media, um, just because I think it's an advent that we haven't seen and it, it's becoming increasingly popular. And a lot of times it it it, 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 it like you, you hear a lot of stories and a lot of perspectives and opinions that you otherwise may not have gotten. Um, just because of the level of comfortability that guys have with one another. So Bleacher Report came out with this interview, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant. I thought it was pretty dope. I listened to the whole thing. Um, kind of like a breakdown of, you know, a lot of different things, Brooklyn. But the most intriguing part about it to me was like this sort of relationship that Kevin Durant had with his teammates when he was back with the Warriors. Some of the things that might have blown up, some of the reasons why he might have felt like he left. Draymond said something like he felt like he checked out after they won that second chip, but he just wanted the opportunity to three-peat. What were y'all's thoughts on that interview, if you got a chance to listen to it? I uh, I I don't know. What do you think about the future uh, of player media in general? Because I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, first of all, I I, kind of thought about this um, from a traditional kind of sports show angle Mm -hmm. in in the fact that, you know, Undisputed, First Take, a a bunch of those shows have – slowly or maybe quickly died amongst a lot of people Mm -hmm. um at least from our standpoint right and but i do feel like these types of like the shop and whenever they bring up something you know quote-unquote controversial or something like this interview Mm -hmm. it gives them 
you, you know, a little bit of talk about that is actually interesting because people do want to talk about things like this interview. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like athlete media is kind of the saving grace a lot of times <laughs> for that's uh, interesting uh, i haven't thought because like when, when you think about media. interviews like all the smoke that happened on all the smoke and just a bunch of other player-led platforms like they, it's like people want to talk yeah. about that they talk about it for that. half an hour on on like undisputed exactly like, damn, you might as well just watch all the smoke at that exactly point. <laughs> so it's almost like they're the saving grace for mm -hmm. you know these types of shows that's number one number two uh I, I had a lot of thoughts on it while I was watching it. I just didn't write all of them down. I just think, I don't know. It, it's obviously a lot of people share blame. It's not just placed on one person, but it's almost like, hey, KD, me and you are cool now. Let's, uh, let's get people to, you know, blame me less and put the blame on someone else. It's like, I, I don't, I, I just didn't feel like Draymond was. I don't know, in the right place for saying all those things. And it's almost like, he, in my opinion at least, he wasn't being fully transparent as to what was said in the meeting with him and, and Bob Myers. Like, mm. you were talking, you were most likely talking way more shit about KD in that meeting than you said in the interview. So when uh, uh, Bob Myers was saying, oh, we want you to want you to apologize draymond was like well i told him you know you're gonna f this up that is probably not what you said you probably said that the next day on that on the day of you probably said katie's a fucking bitch man like he's a fucking bitch he doesn't want to be here he's a flake he never you know he he doesn't talk to the media he's this he's that he, you know he's messing up team chemistry like you'll eliminate that shit but you, you know you're gonna represent yourself as someone real and, and it's like it's frustrating with Draymond because like he wants to act tough and he, he is a tough guy. Like he, he is uh, mentally and physically just imposing on the court, but it's like, I don't know. He really rubs me the wrong way because it's like, as his game starts de deflating, he has to be louder on other platforms to kind of recuperate for that. It's almost like it, it's, it's like Napoleon syndrome as you're dying and disappearing on the court. It's like, I have to be louder and people have to pay more attention to me. So it's like, it didn't feel all that great, but I mean, overall it was a great interview. Interesting. I, I agree with like, I'm not going to say Draymond suffers from Napoleonic syndrome. He's six, six, he, six, he's six, foot <laughs> six. Um, but I do agree with the part where that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way when it's like, Okay, so during that confrontation on the Clippers game when, you know, Draymond confronted KD, it's like that was a those two problem like that that was a problem between the two of them, right? And like Draymond was a dude who like confronted KD about it. And it's almost like now, what is it, like three, four years later, it's almost like they gloss completely past the fact that it was those two that had a problem with each other and that because it was that they were on the same team, you know, like Bob Myers had to handle it. The Warriors had to handle it. Like, they obviously needed to do something about it. Yeah, they got to do something. But, they can't just ignore it. But it's almost like the way Draymond and KD framed it, it was like, oh, we just had like a little like playful fight, didn't do anything yeah. about it. And then the Warriors blew it out of proportion. Like, that's that's not how that really no. works. I, I Like, maybe Bob Myers and Steve Kerr like might have fucked it up a little bit. Like, sure. But it's also like... They, they seemed so friendly with each other during the interview. They were, like, agreeing with each other the whole time. Yeah. It was almost like, you guys did have a problem with each yes. other. Right? Yes. Like, let's not gloss past that point. Like, that that's the crux of the issue. And one, one of my biggest things that felt 
pretty ironic was that, oh, you know, KD was like, yeah, the organization made a way bigger deal out of it than it needed to be. And then in the same breath, like five seconds later, earlier, whatever it was, he also said that, oh, Steve Kerr acted like nothing was happening. Well, which way do you want it, bro? Like, I love KD, but do you want them to act like nothing was wrong? Or do you want them to act like to get or, or to get super involved? It's like, I wish. I, I wish they did the like the 30 for 30 film crew like they did with the last dance here for that Warriors didn't they? team. They didn't. Warriors oh. turned it down. They said they didn't want it, oh. which... I mean, I guess, you know, they, they can make that choice. But, yeah, that that's the part. Obviously, everyone talks about that part of the interview. But I think in terms of just the quality of the interview, like how media representative it is. Like, Dr Draymond's a natural at it, I think. Yeah. And even though, Julio, I know you can't stand him, like, talking or whatever. <laughs> like, he, he's really good at it. And I think, again, he gets access to KD when yeah. I think no one else will have yeah. that access. Yeah. Which is definitely good good thing for everybody. Yeah. And I, I was... I was probably going to talk about that a little bit, so I'm glad you bring that up. Is like that level of access and trust and rapport, um, because of things like first take and because of things like undisputed and because of this sort of gotcha journalism that's really taken hold of not just sports media but media as a whole, um, of trying to incite these conflicts and really just dri driven by you know capitalism and clicks and whatever. Though we don't have to get into all that, but media is kind of in a shitty place right now. Um, and I feel like deservedly so a lot of people, um, specifically athletes are kind of combating these things by saying, well, you know what, we can kind of drive our own narratives, especially if you guys are going to be irresponsible with it. Um, so it was something that I, I thought was really interesting. I didn't think like, uh, it was interesting to see Bleacher Report be at the forefront of it. That's not exactly what I anticipated, but. Hey, I guess do you like Bleacher Report has been pretty innovative about how they go about, yeah. um, and they signed because they're with Turner and Turner signed yeah, Draymond yeah. Green, right? So like there, there's and Bleacher Report, if I'm remember correct, like t I mean that it, is Turner, it's TNT. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, like yeah, that that whole I guess vertical of TNT, Bleacher Report, House of Highlights, they're doing a really good job of like all the sports media conglomerates out there right now i would probably say the, that's the most yeah. authentic the, la um, the last thing i did want to mention that i found incredibly fascinating in the interview aside from this uh, uh clippers argument is when draymond asked when was that transition for you when was that transition for you kd when you transitioned from oh you would talk to the media you would act cool with the media versus when you started getting the perception of or from the media that you're kind of an asshole, whatever, how, however people interpret his actions on Twitter or whatever the case may be. And Katie's answer was actually really, really fascinating. Was uh, it, it was essentially, you know, I came into the league and whenever I would speak to the media, you know, you, you get introduced to all these reporters and you're just like, he essentially said uh, that from his perspective, these reporters seemed like or came off as they knew basketball and they were just basketball historians. They studied the game and they knew all the questions to ask and they were just super, super smart and studious and just knowing the game and knowing everything until he transitioned to Golden State and kind of took over his uh, uh, or realized his true basketball acumen and his skill set and, and skill level to where he transitioned like, wait, these dudes aren't anywhere near like a quarter of my basketball knowledge and acumen. So I, I, I actually thought that kind of tra mental transition and growth within KD, within uh, the player himself, 
kind of displays how this arc of uh, uh, athlete media has transitioned from be, uh, being reporter led or, or uh, uh, media driven led, traditional media driven led, to athletes kind of leading the charge. I, I thought that answer was really really fascinating. That's an interesting thing to unpack, honestly, because I've had my I have my beefs with the journalism, specifically sports journalism industry, in that especially as reporters, the grind, the day to day grind, really limits a reporter's capacity to actually know the game that they're talking about, right? If I'm a reporter yeah. and you need three articles yeah. and you need me to hop on this podcast and you need me to run around and cover every fucking thing, I'm never going to have time to sit down and actually like digest what I'm like. It's always yeah. such a scramble. So what you do have and you, what you end up with are a bunch of reporters who are like around the game a lot who know the people in the game who like can make service level observations about the game, but they're not like actually... They don't know it like that. They, you just don't have time to. That's I, why I don't even really knock them for it because it's like when you don't have enough time in the day. That's why all the greatest stories are like feature long. Yeah, because it's like, okay, I can kind of just unpack season. that. But we have, we like, I, I, I meant to, I don't know if I asked that question or not, but I meant to ask a question. And I think I might have actually in my sports commentary class, which is like, how do we feel about asking people who are supposed to be information gatherers to carry a level of ethos about the functions of the game itself and my professor i don't know whether or not this person would want to be named so i'm not going to put them on blast because they're actually doing reporting work right now um but my professor basically responded like you kind of just ask around because like i'm not going to sit up here and act like i know this shit because like mm -hmm. you kind of ask the players or you ask the other people um and it's like this is like really bare minimum stuff and it's like i almost wonder if we as an industry need to dial back the workload and dial back this like need to be constantly producing content for the sake of preserving the quality because the quality is diminishing each and every month mm -hmm. every year because we're asking people to produce 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 when it's like okay we also have to be conscious of the quality of the things we're producing and they can't be of high quality if we don't know what we're talking yeah. about if and that takes education clicks clicks driven clicks driven industry and it, it, it's getting really we're getting we're getting down tremendous in source media right now. Hopefully, it's really getting ridiculous. It's getting ridiculous, man. It's getting ridiculous because it's like at, at what point in like it's an issue that everyone recognizes and even acknowledges as a reality. Like I remember, um, Shannon Sharp was on his Twitter, almost like this uh, third wall break or fourth wall breaking, self aware. To a point where, like, and Shannon Sharp's one of the most authentic dudes in sports media. Don't get me wrong. I very love, I very much love Club Shay Shay, which, like you said, Julio, these interactions, like, that's where we get our best storytelling. Mm -hmm. But Undisputed is a terrible show. <laughs> and, like, I remember there were people talking about, like, oh, and I guess he just had time in the day to be responding to these people. Um, and people were like, oh, why don't you talk about Lionel Messi? This is one of the biggest sporting things in the world happening right now. Why aren't you guys talking mm -hmm. about it? It's like, well, when we get into our production meetings, and Julio, I don't know how much liberty you are to talk about this, but I know you sat in on some of those production mm -hmm. meetings. It's like, we get in our production meetings, and we know what gets us ratings is the Dallas Cowboys. LeBron. LeBron James. Lakers. Tom Brady. Lakers. Right? Like, <laughs> like, th that, like that's what we're going to talk about because that's what you guys keep on watching. And, like, I think I had a Twitter post, Twitter post, uh, I had a Twitter post where I said something like, I don't know whether it's the ratings are justifying this type of content or 
the media is so lacking in awareness of what their audiences want. Mm -hmm. It seems like the ratings are justifying it, which really pisses me off. In last episode, you guys kind of heard me talk about being wanting to be around people who are like really passionate about the game and are purists for basketball and sports in general. Like those are the fans that I really appreciate um, at the summer league. And it's like it really grinds my gears that we have to like are forced fed like this type of content because there's that many quote unquote sports fans out there that are just consuming this shit and thinking that they care about sports. You don't care about sports. You care about narratives. Mm -hmm. And it's like. Go watch a fucking TV show. Like you, like you, like oh, go. Like like that. If you just want drama, like there's so much like better drama out there. Like that people are like pouring their heart and soul into making drama. It's like we don't have to create drama out of thin air when it's not even there. Like it's it. I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Turn on man. the bachelor. Like literally, just go fucking watch one of those shows. Go watch Real Housewives of fucking Orange County or something. We ain't got to do this. Like these are dudes. We'll play basketball. Yeah. Bro. I digress. Um, <clears throat> let me hop off my soapbox and transition into this last segment that we wanted to talk about. I do have to dip kind of soon. What I can do is like leave y'all to kind of finish End up it. the conversation. Yeah, you go first. Um, cool. Yeah, I can do that. Um, and we're going to talk about this lawsuit that Nerlens Noel and Rich Paul slash Clutch is currently going through. Um, what's he suing for? Like $58 million? Yeah. Um, it's, I mean. It's, uh, maybe one of y'all can break it down, but if I have the gist of it correctly, Rich Paul wants like 200k from Nerlens for some BS, and Nerlens like, well, fuck that. I'm countersuing because you told me I could get this, that, and the third, and if I came with your agency, you could get me these deals, and I come out with a veteran minimum deal. So I'm countersuing for all that money that you promised me. Um, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say the 200 is BS just because it, it's contractual agreement conditions. Contractual uh, he, I mean, he negotiated his, I think it's a one-year deal to the New York Knicks. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, he earned his commission. And, and I guess, like, if I have any sentiments on it, which I don't have a ton, so, like, it's probably better that you guys are driving this conversation anyway. But if anything, it's that you made a bad play, Nerlens. And, you know, y'all know I like Nerlens Noel. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you can't always sip the Kool-Aid just because or, or, or Rich Paul comes to you say, I can get you this, that, and the third. You know, you got to play your cards right as a player and know who's really going to have your back and who's not. You're sitting on this long list of clients, right? Not just basketball, but now they're in football. Now they're in baseball. Clutches everywhere, right? You're not high on the totem pole there. And, yeah, I get it. It's Rich Paul. He does this shit for real. But you're Nerlens Noel, my guy. Like, Let's be honest, he got bigger fish to fry. So yeah. him getting, like, I don't know if he was expecting, like, some sort of $10 million deal or $15 million deal or, you know, some one of these deals that guys kind of get sometimes because they just want a tradable contract. But whatever the case was in his head, like you mentioned, Julio, you put your name on that dotted line and you say that you owe money, right? These things were all, in theory, what Rich Paul could do for you. You kind of just got to be smarter about it. Those are my two cents. Yeah, I'll hand over the uh, right. host Go torch ahead. to Eddie. Okay. Y'all finish it out. Appreciate y'all, man. Y'all, uh, y'all make it happen. I got practice. Yes, I'm a varsity athlete. Yes, I gotta sir. get varsity, out of here. Yes. Go, Go ahead, Eddie. Go <laughs> okay. ahead. So Go ahead. I, I think Super you might interesting. know more about this, Julio, because I, I assume you know a little more about like business law, like that area stuff. But this seems like just um, a way for. It, it's almost like just like pettiness in law right because rich paul wants his 200k and like commission fees um 
And then Nerland says, I don't want to pay that. And by saying that he doesn't want to pay that, he does the countersuit for the $58 million. Like, obviously, everyone knows that he's not going to get $58 million, right? But it seems like it's just a way for, you know, him to, like, countersue Rich Paul, and then they'll probably just settle, right? And nothing will probably happen. So that that's my takeaway. Like, th this is all just law, right? Th this is all just sort of things playing out in the court of law. Um, yeah, so... No, uh, like, Nerland doesn't want to pay, right? Yeah. So, that, so this is his counter move. Yeah, so... One of the biggest things was that um, uh, Nerlens Noel in the lawsuit tried to make it a, he, he tried to indirectly um, put kind of, he, he okay, indirect, I'm going to just use the word, indirectly shit on Rich Paul mm -hmm. by essentially saying, this dude is out here talking to players that already are signed under different agencies so he he kind of indirectly said that because if you directly say that then you say hey nerlands if you're so worried about rich paul doing e quote-unquote illegal activity and talking to players that are under different agencies if you're so worried about that uh legality mm -hmm. side of nba contracts why did you then do why it? are you talking to him right so he tried to indirectly uh, uh throw that in there so that, that's number one number two the uh, something that I, I was mentioning to Reagan and Eddie before this episode was, I don't really I, like. I see, I understand the benefits of wanting to sign with a CAA, with a Wasserman, with a big agency like that. But just in my preference, I would much rather, in my opinion, and I know those connections may not be there, but I would almost lean towards a much smaller agencies. Uh, uh, with an agency who's representing smaller clients and not a large pool of clients. Why? Well, if Reagan is uh, uh, an NBA agent, let's say, I'm player A, Eddie is player B, Reagan likes and has an affinity and has a friendship with player B, uh, a.k.a. Eddie, more so than he does with me, is he going to push harder on the Rockets deal for me or for Eddie? And so I, I just don't like, you know, those, those when those relationships um, come into play, I would much rather choose a smaller agency. That's number two. Number three, this shows, or th this is a great example for all NBA players to look at and say, hey, the only players that are excused from ignoring and throwing away big and good contracts like that are guys by the name of KD, Steph, Harden, LeBron James, and the list is not that long, okay? So when you're a Dennis Schroeder, when you're a Nerlens Noel, you got to take your money, especially in the NBA, unlike the NFL, when contracts are mostly, mostly guaranteed all, all all guaranteed contract okay. and so if you're not a superstar player i'm going to strongly advise you to take that money you're never going to make that money up if you're nerlens noel like yeah. him on this I, I think he's getting 11 million dollars per year yeah which is that right? like, he, he recuperated which some is, of his is value. good right but even there was even some discussion maybe from my from my perspective that it's like it's not an overpay, but it's a little bit more than I would like. Now imagine him earning $18 million per year. That that's that's where it gets like, bro, you could have had the bag. And so the the last thing is that um oh, the second to last thing is that he didn't mention anywhere that he had an injury that season. Like mm -hmm. obviously that's gonna affect you. And this goes back to my superstar point 
that the only ones who can deflect that point, and it's like when teams don't care about injuries, is when you are that superstar player, and he's not that. So when a guy like you, Nerlens, has an injury like that, or like you, Dennis Schroeder, had a bad uh, uh, showing in the in the playoffs, then it's like, yes, teams are going to be turned off by you. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last thing. He was saying that th this is this is the little bit uh, uh, a little bit harder to discuss when he he said Rich Paul was essentially ignoring calls from the Houston Rockets and the LA Clippers and obviously people are going to tie that to oh Rich Paul is with LeBron mm -hmm. he doesn't want the Clippers to get better and, and at the end of the day Rich Paul wants to get paid so yeah. um, I'm, I'm not saying that. Maybe he he was ignoring calls for the benefit of other clients that he preferred. I'm not mm. saying that he didn't do that, but what's the only way that you're going to prove that in court? The only way you're going to prove that in court is by GMs, executives, team co coaches, whatever, team executives, organizations coming to court and testifying in favor of you against Rich Paul. Now, do you think any DM <laughs> is going to testify against Rich Paul? Are they going to burn those bridges? Are they going to burn those bridges? Are they going to be like, uh, uh, oh, l let's say LeBron, obviously LeBron's probably not going anywhere anymore, but, you know, who's another player they have? Draymond, uh, uh, um, Trey ben, Young. They, ben, ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, right? Why would I ruin my chance to get Ben Simmons, Trey Young, and, you know, Miles Bridges, all these other players, on my team in the future just to testify in favor of Nerlens Noel? <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, I'm not going to do that. So this isn't going to hold any water. And yes, he did uh, uh, have a contractual agreement to Rich Paul, I'm saying, to help Nerlens get the biggest uh, uh, contract possible. But again, there's going to be no way to prove that. And if he did ignore those calls, I do feel bad for you. But take the 75 freaking million dollars Nerland. so let's not play yourselves and you know you owe him that commission and let's stop playing and just get it over with yeah i would like i mean you i think you covered all the bases but i was gonna ask because i think there's been some reports coming out that was like other agents are like silently cheering on this lawsuit because like the other you know like big agents oh. don't like the the clutch upstart and the thing is i've made jokes about you know like clutch and lebron and you know, the agency and them being, like, the shadow GM of the Lakers. Like, obviously, I think of it more as, like, jokes than, like, there's obviously some power so plays, right? But it's obviously more jokes and, you know. But it is kind of gross that it seems like there's sort of a, a rooting interest on the clutch demise. But I, I do want to ask, like, do you think by kind of going public with this on Nerland's side it's to try to stir the pot a little bit about the narrative that's like, oh, Clutch is just a LeBron operative and, you know, they're just there to, like, help the Lakers or whatever. And, they're like, they don't care about the other players unless, you know, it's like KCP signing with the Lakers and, you know. Like, I don't know. Do, do you think, like, that's what Nerlens is trying to do a little I, bit? I, I think so. And I think he was just upset at subconsciously. Uh, and I feel like I'm getting into more psychology, uh, psychological discussion here. I just think subconsciously, I feel like he's more upset mostly at himself more so than uh, uh, Rich Paul for, you know, allowing himself to believe Rich Paul telling him that he he's a hundred million dollar player. Um, and when it when it comes to, you know, wanting to throw that out there to me, that sounds like what what you said uh, previously about um 
you know, throwing shade on clutch. To me, that, that's more of an angle that Nerland's wouldn't play, but Nerland's new agent or, you know, anyone who's advising him mm-hmm. might, might uh, throw out in play. So, I mean, if you're his advisor, though, you know that this, this isn't going to hold up in court. And I don't know, it's like burning bridges. Like, no one's going to stand up for that. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I from the outset, I was, you know, from, from the first part of hearing this news i was like there's no real like validity to what he's doing other than to send a message and yeah. to not pay the 200k because that's all he wants to do he doesn't want to pay 200 pay he's just going to say i want 58 million just because it's a number to throw out there it makes yeah. news right but like in the actual practical application of him countersuing it's just to say i don't want to pay two hundred thousand dollars. and this this is why like you just it's so important and no i'm not some type of uh, manager that works for a big agency like Clutch or you know anyone for that matter, but this is why you have to have real people around you and in your circle telling you like, "Yo, I, like, I love you," mm-hmm. but j- just like that meme says, like, "You're not that guy, pal." <laughs> Trust me, you're not that guy. Like, <laughs> you gotta have friends and homies that that you just can't have yes men around you. Yeah. You know, so it's I, I feel like this is a great lesson. Uh, especially in this day and age uh, uh, for, you know, it sucks that you get clowned on, on the internet and social media if you're Dennis Schroeder and Nerlens for not taking these deals and having 2020 hindsight, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. But it's a good lesson for other players to be like, if you're not KD, you're not getting that max contract from the Brooklyn Nets to sit out a year and, you know, coming off the, the worst injury, essentially, mm-hmm. that a basketball player can have. So uh, that was kind of my two cents on it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, like, I think we covered it all, but I hope Nerlens, you know, like, there was, a, there was a point in your career where you might have been on the outs, but you recuperated yeah, your value. You a got, lot of value. You got more than the mid-level. Like, you're playing, you're probably going to start for the Knicks because they like him more than Mitchell Robinson. You know, the Knicks are actually doing kind of well. Like, you played some crucial yeah. playoff minutes. Like, I hope he's content, you know, because he has a spot in this league. He does. And a spot on a team that, you know, is is was successful last year and wants to use him in a certain role. So, I hope he's not still salty over losing out on yeah. $80 million or yeah. whatever it was. No, he'll be good. He'll yeah. Be good. But um, anyways, that, that'll do it for us on Hoop and Holler. Make sure you guys go... Uh, follow us on social media. I'm not u- I'm not used to closing <laughs> yeah. out on the episodes. That's more of Eddie and especially Reagan's job. Yeah. Uh, and, and Reagan, if you listen to this later, I'll probably be taking it uh, from here on out on, on all other episodes. Uh, but thank you guys for listening uh, and tuning in, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. We'll catch you next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler podcast.